Good morning. It's interesting what you find up, find out up here. You know, it's uh, that's good. It's great to see you uh, this morning. Happy weekend after Thanksgiving, whatever that is. It's good to see you. Uh, especially welcome if you're a guest with us this weekend. I need to say that we are finishing. Uh, a nine-week series on Esther today, and that's what this is all about. Uh, some folks have showed up here and they, they say it's an interesting building and a strange s- stage set that you have there. Uh, we don't normally dress our platform as an ancient Persian palace. I just need to point that out. This has been for uh, the Esther series, which we are finishing today. So let's jump right in. Uh, we are looking at uh, the Purim Party, a festival perhaps that we should revive. And we're going to look at Esther chapter 9 and uh, also 10. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a, joy of, uh, as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. And then chapter 10 and verse 3, it's kind of the ending of the story. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he had worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. I mean, it happens every year at Thanksgiving. I'm asked the same question. It happened again this year. Uh, People always say to me, do you British people celebrate Thanksgiving? Uh, No, that would be rude. Uh, We'd be thanking God we got rid of you, and that's not nice. So we we don't actually celebrate it, although I I do. I, I love it, and I feel it's only respectful to the culture that I eat. On Thursday, I, I, I did that. Well, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We, are, we do like parties in England. We've got, we got a little wedding coming up soon. Anyone heard about the wedding that's coming up? Anyone fed up with hearing about the wedding that's coming up? Uh, we don't have Thanksgiving. We, we've got these royal wedding things happening. But in November, uh, on November the 5th, we have a winter festival, which we've actually celebrated since the year 1605. Uh, it's called Guy Fawkes Day. Uh, Guy Fawkes was a guy, uh, was a guy, he was a man who, who uh, didn't really like the king who was ruling at that time back in, the, in 1605. So he took gunpowder into the cellars of the Houses of Parliament and he wanted to blow everybody up and start all over again. And uh, they caught him and they foiled the plot and they tortured him and they executed him and And since then, we've celebrated that. (laughs) I know, it's kind of sick, isn't it, really? We have hot dogs on November the 5th, and we have a bonfire. We we have, uh, the kids make guys. They make effigies, and they stuff old clothes with paper, and they put a mask on the guy. 
Uh, it's, and as I say, fireworks, it's kind of like, it's a bit like the 4th of July without the freedom, really. It's really... Uh, and the end of the evening is that you burn the guy on, on the bonfire. And, you know, I, I've done this for years, and it only recently occurred to me that this happy little family event was actually the reenactment of an execution. How weird is that? Look, children, he's burning. You know, it's sick. That's where we get our word guy from. The word guy used to refer to a man who was badly dressed. Then it just simply refers to a man and now it's generically used. You guys. That's where we get the word from. There was this burning of this effigy. Well, in Purim, the celebration that's spoken of here, and it's going to happen in 2011 on the 19th and 20th of March. It's still celebrated. In Purim, they used to celebrate by burning an effigy of Haman. It was a party that was celebrated by the Jews, a party that was very much opposed. Uh, Some of the early Christian emperors in history opposed Purim and tried to outlaw some aspects of it. The great reformer Martin Luther despised the book of Esther and really didn't like this celebration of Purim. Purim as an annual event, was vital in the political and social psyche of the Jewish people. That's why Adolf Hitler outlawed Purim. It was illegal to celebrate it. In fact, he tried to ban the book of Esther and make it illegal for Christians or Jews to have a copy of the book of Esther. He hated this so much that in 1942, Hitler had ten Jews hanged in vengeance for the hanging of the sons of Haman. This was, a, this was a, a, a point in the annual calendar for the Jewish people that stirred many, many memories. And I believe, although it's not our festival, I believe that there are some aspects of this event that can really help us as we think about the way that we do life and as we think about how we do church. So let's take a look at this festival. First of all, if you're following in the bulletin, Purim was about sharing joy. It's about sharing our joy. Look at verse 18. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. One commentator says this, Purim is playtime in the Jewish tradition, and they had a lot of fun. The children would come to the Purim festival with noisemakers. Do you know what I'm talking about, those rattler things that you revolve? How many know what I'm remotely referring to? You, you've been to a Broncos game and the guy in front of you with the big hat has got a, one of those rattling noisemakers and how blessed you are to be sitting so close to him. Uh, the children would have noisemakers. They would dress up in garish costumes. They would go to their, their neighbours and ask for gifts, kind of a little bit similar to some of the Halloween tradition. There would be eating and drinking, feasting. There would be... In earlier times, the burning of the effigy, they would even have a Purim rabbi. One of the theological students would dress up as the rabbi and the entire congregation would, would mock him and parody him. And uh, they would have the Purim spiel. The Purim spiel was a piece of theatre, a piece of drama to act out 
uh, this amazing story. And there was one part of this celebration where they, the congregation would have a bit of fun together. Do you remember last weekend, I did not, when I talked about the ten sons of Haman, I decided to not to try to pronounce their names. Do you remember that last weekend? Uh, what they would do in, as part of the Purim celebration, they would, they would look at the names of the ten sons and they would try to say those names in one breath without pausing for breath to symbolize the fact that their enemies were taken away in just one breath. So I thought we could try it today. You ready? Have a look at these names. Uh, there they are. You might want to look at those quite closely. Um, can I say, if you have dentures, <laughs> strap them in now, okay? All right. Uh, now, you all have to do this, and you have to do it quite loudly. And if you don't do this very good, then I've got another party game, and it's going to be ugly, okay? Okay, here we go. In one breath. Are you ready? After three. One, two, three. Pasha Dathanda and Dalthon, Asparta and Paratha and Aldalia and Aridatha, Parmashata, Arisai, Aridai and Vasatha. Actually, that wasn't much fun really, was it? It's... I want to say something to you about what we can learn from Purim. You know, occasionally I meet Christians, they're kind of spiritually miserable. You ever met people like that? They've got furrowed brows and they, they're getting really nervous when people laugh in church. They're kind of... <sighs> oh, I don't know. And they make horse noises, you know. <laughs> and it's as, if, it's as if they've got this idea that God's not terribly happy with us being happy. I want to make a statement to you. I could get a bit passionate about this, so I think I will. We in Timberline do not believe that we are called to be the frozen chosen people of God. We are about laughter and fun and joy. Every now and again I go to speak in churches as a guest speaker where they don't believe in fun. I normally get to go only the one time. And, and it's, it's, one guy came up to me, I went to one of these churches, he said, we don't have fun in our church, we have joy. I took one look at him, I thought, you haven't got either one, you know. That's... I went to another church and, and we had some fun in the sermon and, the, and then the pastor stood up, you know, kind of poker-faced. He, I mean, he had joy, but it was deep, you know. And he said, well, it's been good to smile together this morning, hasn't it? But now, let's come to the Lord in prayer. As if God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. With his finger trembling on the smite button. <laughs> Who invented laughter? I mean, it's not a trick question. Somebody going, hmm. Hmm. 
And that doesn't mean that every sermon has to be funny and it doesn't mean that you have to laugh and it doesn't mean you have to be ecstatic all the time. By the way, it does mean, if you look at this festival, that everything in your life doesn't have to be right in order for you to laugh because this was a laughter where the Jews laughed in the faces of persecution and enmity and challenge and pressure. But I want you to know, I want you to know that Joy is part of our value system here at Timberline. Can I ask this question? What's your God like? Does your, does your God get teched when you smile? Do you, do you feel guilty when you relax? Do you ever, can I just ask this, do you ever have fun? I mean, I mean some Christians, everything's got to be spiritually productive. Yes. Oh, I don't want to live like that. I want to do some stupid things occasionally. (laughs) So you're looking at me, you're saying, we think you're fulfilling your mission. (laughs) I want to, like last year I was over, we were with some friends and we were sitting in the hot tub and I said, let's just jump out and roll around in the snow. (laughs) Now there's nothing spiritually productive about that. I didn't grow deeper in my love for Jesus. I, I just felt... I understand now what it feels like to be close to death. (laughs) But we are committed to smile, sharing our joy. Secondly, remembering our story. Remembering our story as part of Purim. Look at verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events. And he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far. Uh, This was an opportunity for the people of God to remember their story. Uh, Sometimes life just means that we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, we forget why we do what we do. Uh, My wife has given me permission to share this story. We were traveling one time and we'd been flying about 20 hours somewhere and we were exhausted and we checked in at this hotel and the receptionist guy he said to my wife, he said, uh, he said, what's your first name? She said, K. He said, do you spell that with an E on the end, K-A-Y-E? And she said, yes, I do. And I looked at her and I said, honey, I, I've, I've known you for 30 years. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but you've never spelled your name with an E. <laughs> now, if you want to start doing that from now on, that's fine. It's not a deal breaker. It's okay. But your name is not K with an E. It's K without an E. And she went, oh yeah, right. (laughs) When you forget who you are, then you forget why you do what you do. See? Like, I used to wear... How many people wear contact lenses here? How many people... I used to wear contact lenses, but I hated it because you have to poke yourself in the eye every day. As I'm... <laughs> and I, I developed this habit. You put the left lens in before you put the right lens in. That way you don't get confused, right? One day I broke the habit and I put the right lens in first. And as I did that, I suddenly thought, no, this is wrong. This is not the way I do this. So I took the lens out. I put it back in the container, then I put the left lens in my eye, and then I put the right lens in my eye for the second time, 
And my wife looks at me as if to say, what's wrong with you? And I'm thinking, hey, honey, you can't even, you don't even know your name. So, you know. <laughs> the danger of living on planet Earth is that we forget who we are and then we forget why we do what we do. That's why church matters. Because when we get together and we rehearse the story of God in song and prayer and sermon, we realign ourselves with our identity. And we realize why, again, we live as we do. My name is Jeff, and I am a Christian. And that means that I will live this week in a particular way. My identity leads to my behavior. That's why church matters. It's tough. It's tough for a pastor to stand up here and say, we need to make church part of our regular lives, not just an occasional hobby. It isn't just that we... It's kind of helpful that you're here when we get up to talk because it would be boring without you. But it matters that we're here. It matters that we have a commitment to this because we remember our story together. Thirdly, thirdly, Purim is about celebrating our deliverance. It's about celebrating our deliverance. Look at verse 22. As the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. I want you to notice something really important. Purim is a festival of deliverance and not victory. It is not, yay, we're the best, we won. It is rather, we were delivered. And it's also a festival of everything turning around the turnaround God, who in the face of the impossible can make things different. A few months ago, regular Timberline people will know that I told a story about my father, prisoner of war for four years in the last war. And at the end of the war, the Russians were approaching the camp where he was held and they marched him together with thousands of other men across Germany in the coldest January in 50 years. And I told this a little bit of how I, I typed the name of the prison camp that, I, that he was held in. I discovered a document and I typed the name of the camp into Google and discovered all this stuff about my, my dad's life in that prison camp. And during that Google search, I discovered this book. This was written by a man who was in the same camp as my dad. And I've been working through it, and yesterday I got to the march. And I wept as I read these words. Men went insane on that march. Men fell on the ice and just laid down and closed their eyes and died. They starved to death. They froze to death. And they went insane. And my dad never told me. And as I got to this page in the book and read about this man who almost lost his mind, I realized that if I'd discovered this book 30 years ago when my dad was not interested in God because of all the pain that he went through, if I'd read this then, I would have said, he's never going to turn to God because there was so much pain back then. But I've got news because my dad died 12 years ago, but a couple of years before he died, the God of the turnaround broke into his life. And he gave his life to Jesus. And despite all the pain, he found Christ. Sir, ma'am, I'm here today to tell you that there is a God 
And whatever railroad track your life has been on up until this moment, hear the word of the Lord to you right now this Sunday morning. God is the God of the turnaround. He can turn your life around. That's why we're here. It isn't just because there's nothing on TV this morning. Jesus is alive. The biggest turnaround in cosmic history. Turn it around. And I'm here to say too, if you weep for a loved one and you're saying they're never going to come to the Lord, this says something different. Because even through the pain, God can break through. This is a story of deliverance. Fourthly, fourthly, this is a story about, well, this is a festival about the giving of our resources. The giving of our resources. Look at verse 22. He wrote to them to observe the days, the days of feasting and joy, and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Now, at Purim, everybody, at Purim, you would give two, a gift of two foods to one person, but then you would give two gifts to two people who were struggling, who were on the margins. I think that's an important thing for us to think about, particularly at this time of the year. How many of you went out shopping on Black Friday? How many? And you survived, didn't you? Look at you. Uh, I didn't get up at 4 a.m. or anything, but at at about 9 a.m., Kay and I gathered our coupons together. And we went in search of the deal. And we went to Macy's and we were looking for a comforter to give us a Christmas gift in our family. And we found this comforter. We got our coupons and it's 850% off. And you buy this comforter and they'll send you to Hawaii for a vacation for five years. And just incredible. That is fantastic. Well, we got, we got some shopping and, and so I, I, they had racks where you could just store your stuff while you were shopping. So I put the comforter in the rack, you know, and... And I said, Kay, let's write, write your name on there. You know, K-A-Y. Put that there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's wrong. It's just wrong. And then I'm walking around the store and I'm suddenly thinking, what if someone spots our comforter? Huh? I mean, you never know. You never know what people might do. There might be a mutant ninja shopper out there. And I'm, I went back and I'm guarding the comforter. Step away from the comforter, lady. And then I realized what was happening to me. Happy Thanksgiving. Season to be grateful. You touch my bedding, I break your face. Purim's about giving. There's a sense, I know that Black Friday is about getting Christmas gifts and all that sort of stuff, but is anyone with me when I say there's a sense of breathless grabbing about the whole thing? Oh no, the 1 p.m. sale is about to end. We've got a Purim party. We've got three of them happening here at Timberline in the next few weeks. Uh, the bridge is a partnership with our adopter family Ministry. Adopt a family gives us the opportunity to change the Christmas and maybe the life of a family that is struggling. This year we are hoping to help over a thousand families in Adopt a Family, but the likelihood is that there will be not enough 
sponsors to help every single one of those families personally. And we want to fill that gap by holding parties, Purim parties, if you like, over the next three weeks, three Sundays, December 5, 12, 19, between 1 and 3 in the South Auditorium, we are holding parties. We're feeding 100 families every weekend. That's around 1,400 people. And the only way it can happen is us. We need hosts. We need people to help with the event. We need 160 people. And as of the end of the last service this morning, we have 70. So we need, we need a lineup at the table out there because we need to throw parties for people on the edges. And folks, you know the danger with this stuff? The danger is we say, yeah, they'll take care of it, but they is us. Adopt a family. Let's clog the table this morning. Go and, and sign up for that. Because I notice in Purim, everybody did something. Even the poorest among them did something. Purim was about the giving of resources. The Wednesday night deal with helping women who are on the margins in India and the home tour. This is, this is the business of the kingdom of God, everybody. This is not Timberline doing some nicey stuff at Christmas. Isn't that precious? No, this is the kingdom of God. And part of our response to this message today will be in prayer and part of it will be in the mall. People will be responding to this sermon at the tables rather than in this auditorium or the South Auditorium. It's a party where we give our resources, our time, ourselves. Lastly, with this we'll conclude, Purim is about, as a party, it's about offering our thanksgiving. It's about offering our thanksgiving. Look at verse 23. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. They decided to celebrate. I read on the internet just yesterday that the average adult complains for 8 minutes and 45 seconds a day. How do they know? <laughs> Who are they following around? Oh, he's doing it again. Another 20 seconds. I don't know how they know that stuff and whether or not it's true, but it is, it is certainly true that we can be pretty good at complaining. Purim was a time to quit complaining and to say thank you. And also the children would wear masks at Purim, symbolizing that in the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned, but his hidden face is evidenced. Isn't it true that often we do faith with the hidden face of God? Are you like me? I wish God would just send me a weekly email update. Hi Jeff, this is what I'm up to this week. This is what I'd like you to do. This is how, what you're doing good. This is what you're doing bad. You're sincerely God. That would be very helpful. Often we do faith without a sense of the imminent presence of God always with us. But the children would wear masks to symbolize that although God was hidden, he was believed to be at work. That's one of the reasons why we worship together. Because as we worship... As we speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as Ephesians 5 puts it, so we once again come back to that big story that we are part of. Here at Timberline, we don't have worship leaders who push us around, and I'm glad about that, aren't you? I appreciate them. 
Every now and again I go to churches and the worship leader is like some kind of mafioso spiritual person. Everyone raise your hands right now. Everyone clap. And it's like, do this because I'm telling you to do that. Well, we don't, we're not into that. But the, the pendulum swing away from that, ladies and gentlemen, can be a kind of a consumer attitude to worship. Yeah, well, just do what you like. You know, prescriptive worship is wrong because it's uniformity. And, and consumer worship is wrong because it's sloppy. I think the best model is found in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It's talking about financial giving there. But it says, let everyone purpose in their heart what they're going to give. In other words, what matters is not whether you raise your hands or shout or clap or sing extra loud. What happens is that you bring your sacrifice of worship and praise to God. And I do too. And as we do that, we are saying to the Lord... Thank you, thank you for all that you have done. And my discovery this Thanksgiving season is that Thanksgiving can be an antidote to that pattern of complaining that we can so easily slot ourselves into. Let's come to the Lord in prayer for the first part of this response today. Lord, we come to you now grateful to you, thankful for your love in our lives. We thank you for the ability to laugh together and we thank you for the value that we have which enables us to celebrate joyfully. Thank you that you gave us the gift of being able to smile and we realize that when the Jews laughed this was not some superficial thing. Sometimes they laughed in the face of their enemies. We pray especially for people in this congregation today for whom weeping feels right. But we pray, Lord, that without glossing over pain that you will grant such a kiss of hope to them that they may be able to laugh in the face of challenge and trust you as they do. Thank you for church and for the ability to align ourselves with the big story. Save us from making it into a hobby. Thank you that you're the God of the turnaround. You're the God who can change everything. We pray for those who need that turnaround today. That you will plant a seed into their lives today and they will simply say, yes, Lord, I want you. And we pray for those who weep for others who think they could never turn around. There's just been too much pain. But you are big enough and great enough. Give us hope. Lord, we pray together as a congregation this morning for the work of the bridge and the adopter family ministry, for these parties that will be thrown. We pray that lives will be changed. We pray that you will show us how we can give and not just take. 
And finally, Lord, as we come before you in a few moments with our giving, financially and with our song, help us, however we express it, to be a grateful people who celebrate whatever it is that we feel or are going through. Help us to determine in our own hearts that we are going to worship you in spirit and in truth. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And so we say to you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for joy, for grace, for goodness, for love, and for you being the turnaround God. Take us now, we pray, and may we be carriers of the pure in party this coming week. Help us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. It is going to snow, so be careful. Uh, weather forecasting is my new thing, so uh, just watch out for that. Prayer team are here if we can pray with you. We would love to do that. God bless you.